Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast in the class today is sponsored and uh, dedicated for Fuashlim Mafim Meir Ben Adelia, sponsored anonymously. And the week of cold brew is dedicated in loving memory of Sammy Said, Leilui Nishmat, Shilomo Ben Shalom, sponsored by his son, Isaac Said. Our Torah, our parasha begins with the words, Vayahi Yaakov, which means that Yaakov lived Be'eretz Mitzrayim in the land of Egypt. Sheva Esre Shana for 17 years. Vayihi Yemesh Yaakov Shnehayav, the years of Yaakov's life, Sheva Shani, Fesheva Shanim, Fabaim, Umad Shana. He lived for 147 years. This is the opening Pasuk. Now, I don't know if you guys were here for Mincha on Shabbat, but during Mincha on Shabbat, we had an interesting uh, kerfuffle. We opened the Sefer, right? We were standing there. I said, Berich Shemeh, we want to take out the Sefer. But we couldn't find the beginning of the parasha. So I bet you some of you were wondering, what's taken the rabbi so long to find the beginning of the parasha? Some people a little bit more patient in shul, they just go with the flow, they're spacing out. Some people a little bit more edgy in shul, they count every second that's not being used. Right, so some of the, you know, Fadal, come on rabbi, take the sefer out. We, you know, we don't have all day, right? Okay? Why, why is it so hard to find? Because Parashat Vayechi is what's called the parasha Stuma. What does Stuma mean? Stuma means closed. You have a parasha that's called Pituchat, there's a, an opening between that, the first parasha and the second, so you can see a break. So instantly your eye finds where the parasha is, okay? And sometimes where there's a continuation of that which came before it, and it reads almost like one straight sentence, a run-on sentence with no period, there's no Pesik, there's no space. And Vayechi Yaakov is one such example. So it took us a little bit of time. But why is the halakha that Yaakov, Vayechi Yaakov, and the Pasuk that tells us about the life of Yaakov uh, effectively coming to an end, this is the parasha in which Yaakov dies, okay? Why is it that this parasha was written in Stuma without any space between this parasha and the last parasha? And it's not just because God wants to make, uh, you know, uh, a synagogue a little bit more interesting and spicy. He has many other ways to do that. Uh, taking Torah the wrong way, uh, people mispronouncing words. My father said the other day he had in the synagogue. But my, this is a special shout out to my dad, a lovely one. My father hates correcting people. Some people love correcting people. Yeah, any. There's nothing that gives the guy a better day than when the guy pronounces something wrong. Even if it's a correction, that doesn't really make a difference in the word, right? Makes no difference. But, you know, just the, the fact that the guy got it wrong and you got a chance to correct him, not quietly later, but loudly, theatrically, in the middle, you know, there's a deleted scenes from the DVD we got over here, okay? Amazing, right? You get it straight in. So my father says, so a lot of times someone will make a mistake. He says, but there was a mistake that he had uh, in the synagogue that he couldn't let go. A guy got up and he said, Kol halachot yom, lo <laughs> How do you read it really? Not kol halachot, but kol halachot. That, that, that might not sound like a big difference if you don't speak Hebrew. But kol halachot is someone who reads halachot every day. He gets olamaba. Kol halachot means he who hates halachot every day gets olamaba. So my father felt that for the sake of all the people, that we're learning halachot every day, uh, and also for the sake of the people that were hating halachot every day, he needed to kind of make a mistake to correct that one. 
So that was a rare Rabbi uh, uh, O.G. Fahi correction. My father is a very soft person, the most wonderful midot. Uh, he's never out there to embarrass anybody. Okay. Uh, now, <clears throat> what's interesting to me is that Rashi comes to tell you why the parasha was satum. How come it's, uh, there's no space there? So the word satum means it's closed. So let's look at Rashi. Rashi brings two reasons. How come the parasha is closed? Because when Yaakov Avinu passed away, the eyes of the Jewish people became closed. They started, their eyes and their heart closed up because the shibud, the uh, galut, the fact that they were in Egypt, in, uh, in exile, that began. Because <clears throat> they started to, uh, to subjugate them. Davar a second answer. Yaakov Avinu wanted to tell them when the Mashiach was coming. And Akadosh Baruch Hu did not allow him, did not allow him to say. He hid from him the day of the coming of the Mashiach. So that means Yaakov Avinu, he knew the date. He was already with the date. He had his phone out. He was going to tell them. He was going to invite them to the calendar date to the event. Okay? And in, the, in that moment when he was about to share it with them, Nistemu, it says, suddenly, it was hidden from him the date. So in either scenario, we're using this with, we're uh, playing off of the fact that it was hidden, that something was closed. Why? Because look in the parasha, we see it in a visual way that if you try and find where Vayahi Yaakov is, you, you can't find it. Now the Mifashim ask many questions on Rashi. And I'll just give you an example of one of them. I don't understand. Nistam Enehem, they had the Shibud. What are you talking about? Yaakov Avinu was now alive for a little while longer in the parasha. Not only that, not only is he alive for a while longer in the parasha, but Yosef lives uh, uh, many more years as the king of Egypt. So he's in charge of the situation. There is no Shibud, there's no Galut. Not only that, even after Yosef dies at the age of 110, right? We know that the Shibud doesn't start, the uh, subjugation doesn't start until the time of Lev, the death of Levi, which he outlived all the rest of the brothers. So there's this giant chunk of time where nothing is happening to the Jews. And yet we're talking about the fact that their eyes were closed up, their hearts were stopped up because of the pain of the suffering of uh, the Shibud. So what does Rashi mean? Okay? Rabotai, I'd like to share a, a chidush that maybe uh, is something that's powerful. Our rabbis tell us that Vayichi Yaakov Be'eres Misraim comes to tell us something very powerful. Not just that Yaakov died uh, after this time in Egypt, but that Yaakov Avinu was alive during this time. Where do we find an expression of this? We just read it in last week's parasha. Yaakov Avinu sees the Agalot Asher Shalach Yosef that Yosef had sent, Vatihi Ruach Yaakov. And the spirit of Yaakov came alive. He was alive, but he was a dead man walking. He was a robot. He was going through the motions. I'm sure he was going through for Yaakov Avinu very holy motions. I'm sure he was praying. I'm sure he was studying Torah. I'm sure he was doing mitzvot. I'm sure he was doing things that me on my best day, I couldn't dream of doing. But still Yaakov was not alive. Not for him. 
Now he's back, reunited with his son Yosef. Yaakov came alive in the land of Mitzrayim, 17 years. And that's how he dies. He dies with the 17 years of his family surrounding him, all of his sons. He dies with his grandchildren that were born in Egypt, Ephraim and Asher, growing up on his lap, on his knees, teaching, teaching him Torah, learning Torah with his grandchildren. This is the, the culmination of Yaakov Avinu's life. That sounds quite amazing, right? Riding off into the sunset. Rabotai, I always like to look a little bit deeper. And sometimes I like to look in a little bit of a contrarian way. This is now when Yaakov is alive. So the time that Yosef wasn't with him, Yaakov was dead. He was a shell of himself. Now this bothered me. I get that you love Yosef. I get it. But what is it? What happened here? That when Yosef was taken, Yaakov was incapable of living for the other 11 kids that he had. What happened there? And I think as well, there's another insight here. Yaakov is a man who suffered a lot throughout his life. I mean, you think about Yaakov's life. Everything he dealt with with Esav. The fact that he needs to run away from home. The fact that he gets tricked by the sky Lavan. He throws away years of his life on other people's agenda. On Esav, on Lavan. He finally gets married. One of his wives can't have children. She's crying all the time. Finally, he has kids. She has her second kid. She dies in childbirth. Devastating blow. Right? Then the story of the brothers. It doesn't end. It literally, it does not end. So this is a man who suffers his whole life. And yet, when does he come alive? He comes alive in Egypt. How is that? And, and I, I thought something that I think is, it's a very powerful idea. And that is, that in many people's lives, and again, our lessons and the lessons we learn are not the same as the lessons that they are teaching us. We could never fathom understanding Yaakov Avinu, who's a malach, he's an angel in heaven. His challenges, his decisions, his misvot, his so-called averot, the tiny things that our avot kedoshim may have done, their averot would be our biggest mitzvot, okay? But the Torah is communicating them to us so that we should learn in our strata and in our situation. So although our lessons are not the same as theirs, but they take, they, they are your neck, they, they suckle at the breast, if you will, of those lessons. You know, you have a guy as a multi-billionaire and he, he doesn't, he, he goes bankrupt because he was over leveraged. So you learn from this guy not to be over leveraged. I don't have a billion dollars, I don't have a million dollars. But the lesson that he on his level had to learn about being over leveraged is the same over there as it is for me. Rabotai, human beings are capable of living through and feeling alive even when they are suffering. But for some reason there are some things that kill us and some things that we take in stride. Is there anyone that Yaakov loved more than Rachel? Even Yosef. It says that he loved Yosef. One of the reasons was, was because he was the son of Rachel. How much more did he love the source of that love? And yet when she dies young, Yaakov survives. He survives that problem. He survives the problem of Esav. But, but here we're reading that there's this period of darkness, of depression he goes through. And 
it's difficult, I think, sometimes for us to realize um, this idea. And it's not a dangerous thing. And it's not a revolutionary thing to say that Yaakov was very sad. We have a terminology for that now. But what does it mean that he lived that way? Does it mean that he shut off to the world? No. But he wasn't alive. He wasn't his most alive self. Rabotai. This is not a thing which is haphazard. I think deep down, deep down, the reason why Yaakov, uh, so to speak, was, th was, in England they would say, was knocked for six, right? The reason why it hit him so hard, the story of Yosef, even more than all the other suffering he had in his life, was because, I think, I think, was because he felt that this was in some way on him. Now, I need, I need you to understand the difference. You know, sometimes a person sits there and they, you know, Rabbi, I don't know what's going on. What is Hashem telling me with this? I lost my job. You know, I have to move now from my big house to a smaller place. And again, I'm not minimizing that. I'm not minimizing that. I'm not saying it's not a big thing. It is a big thing. Rabbi, you don't understand. This person, my family's not well. What is Hashem telling me? And they go, they fall off the, you know, off the wagon. And sometimes I want to tell them, there are certain messages that God is sending directly to you. But sometimes God's message is not a message directly to you. The fact that someone doesn't have Parnassah during Corona doesn't mean that that person has a specific Gezerah against them. And therefore, the reaction that the person has doesn't necessarily need to be the reaction of someone who's sitting in a time of plenty where everyone else is making money and they're losing it. This is such an important understanding. The way we decide what we let kill us and what actually we feel is fine. The setumah, the parasha was nistam, I feel. One of the reasons is each one of the ideas that's brought represents a certain shutting down. A shutting down of Yaakov's ability to communicate the kids to his children. A shutting down of the hearts and minds of the Jewish people in the land of Egypt because the Shi'ibud had begun. Because they were slowly, inexorably heading towards Galut Mitzrayim. But this idea of shutting down, of shutting out the light, of contracting, of restricting oneself, how do you feel when you feel excited? You feel on top of the world, you could conquer anything. How do you feel when you feel vulnerable and depressed? You can't conquer anything. The smallest thing happens when you're in that state of mind. It's, it's like a devastating blow. When you feel on top of the world, you feel, you say, Baruch Hashem, Noah, it's for the best. I'm sure God wanted us to go over here, wanted us to go over there. We're reading over here something which I think is a crucial understanding of the human condition. You know, there was a, uh, a, uh, a, a, a story that I just, it, it spoke so deeply to me um, that, uh, that I think illustrates this point in such a magnificent way. The idea of, of the human psyche. And not, not just what happens to it, but what we allow to happen to it. You know, there was a, uh, a, uh, an, an elderly man, a man who, who lost his wife and he lost his children 
during the horrible, you know, Gezerah, the time of the war, during the Holocaust. He was a tremendous tzaddik. He was a tremendous tzaddik and a rabbi after the Holocaust was over. And, um, and he came to Eretz Israel, and his name was the Panovich Rebbe. And he saw in Israel that there were so many children, so many young people that had no place to go. They were orphans. They had no yeshiva. They had no one to take care of them. They were survivors, kids. And he took upon himself to try and rebuild what they had in the past. He rebuilt his family, and he rebuilt the yeshiva, and he was like an engine. And I think one of the things that was so special about the Panovich Rav, one of the things that was so wonderful about him, Rav Kahaneman, I don't know if any of you had the chance to meet him, what an unbelievable person he was, but was his indomitable spirit. He decided that the worst things that could possibly happen to a man were not going to crush him. And I don't know, what is it that this person allowed one person like this to be able to just be in this mode of non-stop build, 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 do, 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 even after life gives you a, you know, a beat down, and why someone else retreats, becomes afraid, changes the last name so no one knows they're Jewish. What's the difference between this person and this person? And some people might say that this person was born with a stronger psyche, a stronger personality, a persona, and this person was born with a weaker one. But I don't think that, the, that that's really what's going on here. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think um, there's a famous line that was attributed first to a, a, a man who went crazy at the end of his life. A man who was a radical thinker and his name was Nietzsche. He, he used to say that a person or a man who has a good enough why can survive anyhow. A person that has a why, why they're alive, why they need to exist, suddenly anything that happens to them, it, it gets dealt with, it gets shoved aside by the importance of their why. The Panovich Rebbe came to Israel and I don't know what would have happened if he would have moved to the back of some synagogue in Jerusalem and he was a nobody guy who all he did was go to work in the morning. I don't know if every night he wouldn't have cried himself to sleep and become a, a shell of the person that he could have been. But when he saw a mission that was so important that needed him to be on, suddenly what happened? He was brought back to life. And that mission didn't allow him the time to dwell on that process. Rabotai, our Torah is something so beautiful. And one of the things that used to happen to me all the time when I was teaching Torah in very secular audiences is people would ask me, they say, where did you go to school? I said, what do you mean where did I go to school? They said, you obviously, you're coming at the Torah that you're teaching, coming at it from a very psychological place. You know, where did you study psychology? The terms you're using. And I always say to them, I studied, I went to this school, the Torah school. I went to yeshiva. You know, I learned from the Avot. I learned from the Gemara. Everything I'm telling you, it's here in the Torah. The Torah understood the nature of a human being. It understood that when someone dies, then pushing those feelings away is unhealthy. Being brave about it is unhealthy. So they gave them seven days. Sit on the floor. Cry. We promoted an environment of crying.
You know, you'd think, what do you do for someone who just suffered a loss? Change the subject. You're not allowed to change the subject. Do you know that? Halakha. People don't know. You go to the house of mourning, you don't open your mouth until the Avel does. Did you know that? And if the Avel is telling you about his mother, his father, his wife, his sister, his brother, whoever it is that he lost, right? You're not allowed. You're not allowed to tell him, oh, you know, I heard this amazing Devar Torah by Fahi in the synagogue this morning. Fantastic. Not allowed to do that. He's supposed to focus only on that pain. He's supposed to stare it in the eyes, cry it out, get that time. And then slowly but surely, through 30 days, we wean him off this place, this process of intense pain. Expose him to it fully. Let him not experience it in drips and drabs throughout the rest of his life. Rip the band-aid off. Let it all in. And then slowly but surely, the Torah says, but don't go overboard. On your skin. Don't tear your skin. Don't pull out your hair. We believe that a person, when they die, they don't stop existing. Don't mourn for something that doesn't exist anymore. Don't mourn excessively. So the Torah understood the value and the health of dealing with tragedy. But if a person doesn't have a why to move on, then they don't. Yaakov Avinu was living in Eretz Israel. His children were Sadiqim. His wife had died. His troubles had happened to him. But Yaakov Avinu, he had done all he could. He'd put all the effort that he could into those kids. And he suffered from the fact that his son was gone and there was nothing more to do. That story happened right when Yaakov, the Yeshiv Yaakov, it's right when he thought he was going to be building. Got taken from him. Yaakov Avinu, although he suffered many things before, there was always something pushing him forward. But at that stage, there was nothing else. He'd already dealt with Lavan, dealt with Esau, dealt with the death of Rachel. He was just sitting in one place in Israel, in a holy place, in the area of Yitzhak Avinu, with his yeshivas, with his religious family. What did he, what did he need to do? Rabotai, you cannot overstate the power and the importance of having a magnificent, a challenging, an effortful why. Yaakov Avinu moves to Egypt and he needs to build everything from fresh. So yes, he gets his son back. But it's not just that Yaakov is alive. Yaakov has dealt with death before. It's that he moves to a place where there is no yeshiva and there is no mikveh and no one set up the OU, right? And where's the JCC? What are we doing? We're moving to a town. Which town are we moving to? We're moving to Goshen. We're setting up things to make sure the Jewish people don't assimilate. He has grandchildren who he's never learned the page of the Gemara with. He lived 17 years. I think that there's something also symbolic uh, uh, about that time. We know every time we talk about the number 17, 17 is Gematriyat Tov. It was good for Yaakov, those years. They were beautiful years. And I think in a certain level he understood that the promise that God made to Avraham Avinu, that your children are going to go to a place and they're going to be Gerim, uh, uh, they're going to be uh, sojourners in this place for a long time. Yaakov understood now, this is where Hashgacha was guiding the Jewish people. This is where we were going to be. This is where our children are going to go into a, a dark time, 
into a time when they're suffering. And I think that's the two pishatim that Rashi is communicating here. Number one, the first understanding of Satum, of why the parasha is quiet, is because the Jewish people, they started to feel the effects of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, um, uh, of the Galut. Yaakov understood that the minute he dies, the minute grandpa's gone, with the old world traditions and the minhagim and the customs and the purity, the minute that's gone, it begins to move down. So Yaakov knows he needs to use every second that he has on, on this earth to great effect. And that brings him to life like nothing else does. And the second thing is, he wants to, at his deathbed, communicate to them the kets, the geula. Why does Yaakov want to communicate it to them? Listen to this. And why does it get taken away from him? Our rabbis say it got taken away from him because at that moment, if the Jewish people, right as they're going into their first galut, would find out, you know when Mashiach's coming? <laughs> In the year 2021. What's 2021? You mean 8.21 p.m.? Like, are you talking in army time? What do you mean? Imagine they had heard that from then until now that they would need to wait 4,000 years for the Geula. One of the reasons why it was taken from him, the date of Mashiach, was because the, they, the, the people would have lost it. They would have lost it. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu took it away from Yaakov, almost like if you look at the page, you can't see where it starts, the parasha. It's like, it's, it, it takes us five minutes to even find where it is, okay? Rabotai, I think that that's something which is very important. Because had you given the Jewish people a time of 4,000 years away, how am I going to feel about investing in something that's that far? You know, a lot of us, we like to make, you know, you put money in the stock market. Someone tells you, look, it's a long-term investment. Someone, you ask them, how long? Guy tells you, you gotta, can't take out your money for a year. How many people put their money in bonds, right? You can't touch it for seven years. I'm gonna think twice, seven years. How about if I told you 70 years? How about if I told you 700 years you couldn't touch it? How about if I told you 4,000 years till Galut ends? HaKadosh Baruch Hu was communicating to Yaakov, they won't survive this. It won't give them a why. Rabotai, you find someone who's down in the dumps, give him a why. You feel like you're not pumping, you're not energetic, get yourself a why. Find a goal, find something that drives you, find something that bothers you. And then you'll feel and you'll see that you yourself are also coming to life. Amen.